not only this morning, but in the next uh, couple of weeks when he's out there. Father, we lift up your servant to you, Father, and pray, Father, that uh, just as uh, Paul prayed for the Ephesians, that he would have the uh, spirit of wisdom uh, and discernment to know what to do and and how to do it, and if anything, uh, involvement is in his his time in Serbia, Lord, and whether we should be involved. I pray, Father, that the the eyes of his heart might be open, Lord, that he might have a, a real divine understanding as to what's going on in that nation, Lord, and whether we at Hope or Phil in particular should be involved or not. Give him wisdom, give him discernment, give him something of your heart. May he be open to all that you want to do, Lord. And if it's a door that opens, we pray, Father, we might walk through. But if it's a door that's to be closed, we pray, Father, it will be closed. And it will be very clear and it will be very evident, Lord. So we pray, Father, for a special divine anointment upon him, Lord. A real understanding and enlightenment, Lord, that you'll reveal your heart and your purposes to him and through him in these days, Lord. And I pray, Father, for his time this morning as he shares with us, Lord that you will make him to be a channel which you can communicate your heart to us, Lord. We thank you that you're a God who wants to speak to us and reveal things to us, show us things, Lord, and talk to us, Lord. You're, you've not gone dumb, Lord. There are many people who think you went dumb 2,000 years ago and don't speak anymore. But we thank you that you continue to speak. And one of the ways you speak is through your servant. And so I pray, Father, that you will speak to us in a mighty way through Phil this morning, Lord. Bless him and anoint him in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Cool. I've had two words, I believe, from the Lord already this morning. Uh, Carol's verses that she read to us spoke about the rain coming down and life springing forth. And, of course, without rain, there is no life that comes forth. And the inference is that the rain that comes down is the word of God. If life, if you're to find life, the life of God in you, the life that he's called you to, his word must come. There is no life just by living. It has to be the word of God that comes and energizes us because It is only by putting faith in God's word that we can live the way that God wants us to. We live by faith. And faith comes by hearing the word of God and no other way. Also, Dave said, and he emphasized it in communion, stop church just for five minutes and listen to the word of God. What is God saying to you today? What did he say to you yesterday? What did he say to you last night? What is he saying to you on a daily basis? God is a living God. And because he lives, he speaks. He acts, he moves. He's not a dumb God. He's not made out of stone or wood that he cannot speak. And for we, his children, he must speak to us if we're to live the life that he's called us to. I want to turn your attention to a reading in Acts. Acts chapter 20, we're going to read from verses 7 to 12. The importance of listening, learning and living by the word of God. I'm going to read about a young man called Ichikus. If I haven't pronounced his 
known properly. He will forgive me. You don't have to. Uh, but he's, he's long gone. I don't know if there are any Ichikuses today. But if you write something with an E-U-T-C-H, Y-C-H, that's a bit tricky for us to get the proper uh, translation of that. Anyway, this is this young man, Ichikus. It says this in Acts 20, 7 to 12. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Ichikus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, he threw his, himself on the young man and he put his arms around him. He said, don't be alarmed, he said, he's alive. Then he went upstairs again, he broke bread and he ate. After taking, after talk, uh, sorry, after talking, until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Interesting little event that happened in the life of Paul that is recorded for us. I find three things that are surprising in that story. They come as surprises, but they're not surprising. Number one, that this young man fell out the window. Now you say, well, that's, that's pretty surprising. That doesn't happen every day. But if you think about it, if you sat in a three-story window where it was possible for you to fall out and you were falling asleep, you would fall out, wouldn't you? Okay, so that's not a great surprise, but it's a surprise in the story. The second thing that might be a surprise is the fact that Paul goes downstairs. It, it indicates that others have already gone down and discovered he's dead. Paul goes down, lays himself on the boy, holds him, and life comes back into that young man. Now, that's a surprise, but it's not a surprise. I would at least have expected Paul to have done that and nothing less than that, being the Apostle Paul. Do you know what struck me as the biggest surprise of all? That these people listened to Paul speak for 12 hours. That's the surprise. That's the surprise, especially in this day and age. Because it says they were listening and he was going on and on until midnight. It had already gone on and on. And then he came back and he spoke again until daylight, which was probably six o'clock. Twelve hours he spoke. And they listened. Are you fed up with me already? <laughs> Have you had enough? Do you wish it was over already? Do you wish this 40 minutes would just fly? I might make it 50. No, I won't. I won't. <laughs> it struck me as a surprise. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I wasn't here. I went, I went to Dagenham. I was invited to speak at an anniversary service in... Uh, it was a Nigerian church, and uh, it was in an upper room. There were about 60 present. It was quite warm and stuffy in the room. It was smaller than this room. And uh, I got there and the invitation said the meeting would be from half past one to half past six. So uh, knowing the African culture, I thought that's fine. Uh, I'm used to that sort of stuff. Probably start late and finish late. Never mind. Uh, that's it. So, but I arrived in good time. It took me two hours to get there. I went on the underground. 
And when I got there, I sat next to a guy, and uh, it turned out to be the brother of the pastor of the church, the man I knew. I'd only met this man once in Israel when I went with Lee this last February, and he said, would you come and speak at this convention? So I said, oh, um, I said, because I want to know what's expected of me. People don't tell you too much sometimes. So I said, am I the only speaker? Are there more than one speaker? There could have been. It was a convention. They might have had two. He said, no, uh, you're the only one speaker. I said, fine. And uh, I said, how long do you normally expect someone to speak for? You know, if it's an hour and a half, I can just, I can do that if necessary. Or I can, I can draw it in. If he said, oh, about 40 minutes. Oh, I said, fine. That's good. I can do that. I said, what do you do for the rest of the time? I mean, we're talking about the other four and a half hours, just about. And he said, um, uh, he wasn't quite clear what they were going to do. For the other. I said, fine, okay, I know what I've got to do. And so um, they started the meeting, and it was getting quite hot. Well, the people were, were dancing. Uh, do you mind if I say jigging? Uh, so I'm not insulting anyone when I say that. There were a lot of jigging and dancing going on, and... And people were getting very hot and very tired. This is, it started at one o'clock, you see, so they'd all had their lunch and they were uh, there. And so after about two hours, I was invited to come and speak, share what I had. So I got up to speak and um, I looked out and they looked, they looked tired before I started. <laughs> and uh, there was a man who was positioned in the middle of the uh, room. It was crowded like this and he kept, he kept filming everything, taking his camera off and taking pictures of people and everyone, which sort of annoyed me, and I thought, I hope you're going to go to the back and sit down when I do this, but he never, he stayed there doing this. There were two enormous fans behind me, trying to cool everyone down, because the minute I put my notes down, (laughs) you got it, and you think, well, you're experienced, Philip, you go abroad, but there are lots of fans. Yeah, but I didn't expect it in Britain, you see. So these, 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 I only had three sheets of paper, they flew everywhere. I mean, they were gone, okay. And so I'm, I'm scrabbling to pick them up. Then I'm, I'm wanting to put weights on things. Then I'm trying to turn them over and put more weights and, and make sure this one doesn't fly away and that one doesn't fly away. And so I, I spoke for the 40 minutes. And when I go home from a meeting, my family say to me, how was it? I only got, I've only got one answer. It's great. That's what I say in everything in life. It's great. And by and large, I do enjoy everything of life, even if it's difficult. I, you know, I'm looking for the good in everything. So I said, it was great. So I said, I didn't enjoy it. They nearly fell off their chairs when I said this, because this is the first time I've given such an answer in all of my life. So they said, well, what was wrong? And I just explained to them what I faced, as I've just explained to you. It wasn't a pleasant experience. And so as I'm preparing the message, I'm, I'm comparing... The upper room where Ichikus lived and the upper room where I was. How these people could hang on every word of Paul for 12 hours. And it says they went home comforted. I I don't think they were comforted because just the boy had been raised to life. That's fine. And for the immediate family, I'm sure that was very exciting. More than comforting, I mean thrilling, exciting. The people were comforted because they had listened to the word of God and the word of God speaks to one's heart and not your head. 
Get me? The word of God speaks to the heart because in the heart, faith is developed. You don't develop faith in your head. You develop faith in your heart. So the word of God must go to your heart and faith must be produced. And when faith is produced, there is a harvest because God responds to faith. He doesn't respond, he respond, to, respond to intellect. He responds to faith in the human heart. So they were comforted in what they heard. How important is the word of God to you? Without the word of God, you would not have got saved. Without the word of God, you cannot grow. Without the word of God, you cannot please God. Without the word of God, life's problems, you will never get victory over them. Without the word of God, you can never enter into the rest of God that he's promised for his children. Without the word of God, you will wander in the wilderness for the continuation of your Christian life. It's only by receiving the word of God by faith that we enter in to what God has for us. I was doing a study uh, in the book of Hebrews, and I want to share some things with you. Now, if I say to you I'm going to do a series with you. I'm, I'm very conscious of the fact that I launch into series, get through to number two and three, then think of something far more exciting to talk to you about. So um, it, this might be a series, it might not. I want to be honest with you, and I know myself now. Uh, but if you read the book of Hebrews, what you will find in it, there are five warnings in the book of Hebrews. It's almost like there are five parentheses. There are five bits thrown in by the author that come to us by way of a warning. I'll just outline them quickly and I'll just read a verse from each of them. The first warning that we have is in chapter 2 from verses 1 to 4. It warns us about drifting away from God, drifting away from the Word of God, drifting away from this glorious salvation that we have. It says this in 2 and 1, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. First warning. Second warning in chapters 3 and 4, it's about doubting the word of God. It said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. A hard heart means a heart that does not receive God's word into it. It says, do not do this. And then in chapters 5 and 12, it talks about a dullness towards the word of God. If you are slow to learn, it says, we can be dull. I was a school teacher. I met some dull kids. Do you know, dull kids, are you tell them the same thing again and again and again and again, and it doesn't stick. I'm not saying it's their fault. A lot of times it is their fault because they don't attend to take in the word of God or take in the word of the teacher, in that particular case, on board. In chapters 10, it talks about despising the word. It says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, that is, that is to despise the truth. If you despise the truth, you despise God himself. Because God is so his word. He is so part of everything that comes to you this morning. 
What I'm bringing to you, I'm not bringing to you a word or a teaching, I'm bringing Jesus to you. To despise what he said is to despise the person of Jesus Christ himself. And this is a warning against it. And in chapter 12 of Hebrews, it talks about defying the word. He says, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. So we can hear it and just refuse to hear it. Refuse to do anything. Defy the word. As children defy their parents, they know what their parents want them to do, but they are defiant. And he's warning us, though there are serious warnings here. Now, there are results. If you read through this, it's a bit of a scary book to read. Because it says there are results if you do these things. There are dire consequences for doing these things, for drifting, for ignoring, for being dull when it comes to the word of God. The word of God is not a threat. God never threatens. It sounds like a threat sometimes, but it's not a threat. It sounds so threatening, it sounds like if you don't do this, you'll go to hell. You will lose your salvation. Now, let me state what I believe about this. Once we are born again, and we are Christians, we will not lose our salvation. Now, you say, I don't agree with your opinion. That's fine. That's what I believe. We do not lose the salvation that we have, but, but we might lose our lives because we ignore God's word. Ananias and Sapphira, they knew the truth, but when they went to Peter, they lied and they lost their lives. Both of them lost their lives through being defiant regarding the word of God and the truth. I think you will meet Ananias and Sapphira in the next world. I believe they're born again. I believe they'll be in heaven. But they lost their lives. So what I'm saying to you is, you won't lose your salvation, but you might lose your life. See, Jesus said, I've come to give you abundant life, but the thief comes to do what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy you. You. So ignoring God's word can bring death to us. Now, you say, that sounds like a threat to me. It's not a threat. It's a warning. I remember, I don't know who said this to me, and maybe it was said many times, you know, if you keep eating all those sweets, your teeth will rot and fall out. I must have been told it. Parents were always saying those things in those sorts of days. Now, was that a threat? Not really. It's truthful. I've lost quite a lot of teeth. And those that can be filled are filled. My mum was right. Okay, now, I never took it that she was threatening me. I took it as a warning and an encouragement. So what I'm doing today, I'm not threatening you with God's word. I'm warning you that these are the consequences of ignoring what God wants to say to you. All my life as a Christian, I have read quite a bit of God's word, and I like to read it, but I constantly hear the Spirit of God saying to me, read more, get into God's word more, understand my word more, maybe there isn't anyone on the face of the earth that God doesn't say this to. So I'm sure he says it to you. You're ignoring my word. You're trying to run this Christian life of yours without feeding upon the word of God. I've met some pretty interesting people in my life and read some interesting stuff. 
I knew a, a guy called uh, Alex Buchanan. Some of you might have heard him. He actually went to Greenford Gospel and preached there sometime. Uh, when I was speaking to him once, he, he told me he had read the Bible 79 times. And uh, he still lived a few more years after that. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. I won't tell you how many times I've read the Word of God, but it's nothing like 79 times. And when I read about Muller, Muller read the Bible 200 times. And 100 times he read the Word of God on his knees. On his knees. And I'm thinking, these were men of faith. And God didn't favour them. It's just by ingesting the word, by ingesting Christ and what Christ is saying, our lives change. They just change. I don't know, it's a miracle because the word of God is living. It's alive and active. I'll I'll put you at ease. I've probably read the Bible through four times. You'd feel a lot better about that? Okay. Now, some passages I've read hundreds of times, again and again and again and again, and some passages I just find them a complete mystery, and so I'm not excited about going back and reading them again. I'm perfectly honest with you. But constantly the Spirit of God draws us back to this. These admonitions that we read here, they become stronger. Did you notice starts with drifting, moves on to doubting. Then it goes on to dullness and despising and defying God's word. So all through the book, the warning becomes stronger and stronger. So it's trying to pull us back onto track. Now, I'm not talking about reading your Bible per se. I'm talking about listening and hearing The voice of God. God speaking to you. It must be a priority of every Christian's life that he hears the voice of God constantly on an ongoing basis, day after day, because God is not not wanting to speak. It's a tune of bringing us to a place where by faith we can enter into what God is saying. Let's go to this first warning then. It's found in Hebrews and uh, it's in chapter 2. Uh, First four verses says this. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation, violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. You must pay careful attention to God's word to get it. If you superficially come and listen and you don't back this up with more understanding, you're not going to get it. It says here, we must pay careful attention. If you are dreaming, playing on your phone, meditating about tonight, 
whatever it is you're doing, this message will not benefit you one iota. If you're dropping off to sleep, it ain't gonna help you one iota. You'd be better off to stand at the back if you're sleeping. So at least you get this one word, this one message, because it produces life in the human heart. So we have to put ourselves in a place where we carefully pay attention. The writer here, sometimes the writer, when Paul is, is writing, if, if you read, he says, you, you, you need to do this. You need to hear what I'm saying. You need to do this. Here he's saying, we. So Paul is identifying himself with all other Christians, saying, we can all slip away. We can all start to pay less attention to God's word. We're all in this together. We must all pay careful attention. The longer you've been a Christian, the more this message applies to you. It's like this. When we come to Christ, we're excited about what we've discovered. So maybe for the first days or weeks or months or even years, we're excited. We learn stuff. We go, I never realized that. I never knew that. Healing, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, deliverance, all of these exciting things. And we get to grips with the Word of God. Then after a few years, we plateau out. We've got this idea, well, I've got it sewn up now. I'm born again. I know what it's all about. I speak in tongues. I go to church and we flatten out. Some of you haven't learned anything for 10 years. Five years, you haven't learned a thing. Now you think, well, I'm all right, I'm still saved, I'm not, I'm not disputing that. But you can't plateau out in God. You either go up or you go down. Derek Prince says something like this, he says, if you haven't moved on from yesterday, you backslidden. If you ain't in a better place than you were yesterday, if you don't know more than you knew yesterday, if you haven't got more grace manifested in your life than yesterday, you are backsliding. See, when the sun goes up, it doesn't stop. It rises and rises and rises and rises in the sky. And it says that's like our righteousness. It goes on rising. It doesn't plateau out. It doesn't find an even place. You're backsliding if you're not moving on. That's what the Word of God indicates. There's a danger in all of these warnings. The danger isn't that you will reject the Word of God, but that you will neglect it. See, having accepted Christ as your Savior, you're home and dry. You really are. You are going to heaven. There's no question about that. But this passage is talking about neglecting the word. And if we neglect the word, we're being exhorted to follow it. We find ourselves drifting into the very hands of where Satan can do exactly what he wants to do with us. He's waiting for drifters. The whole point about drifting is you don't know you're drifting. If you got in a boat close to shore and you think, oh, this is beautiful. Heaven must be like this. And you put a few cushions out on the boat and you have a little lie down and the sun is such and 
you've gone. To wake up two hours later, jump up and find yourself miles from shore. What's happened? You've drifted. You didn't know you were moving. You didn't even know what direction you were moving in. But you drifted away. We have a danger of drifting from Christ. Drifting from this glorious salvation. Drifting from the truth. And we don't even know we're drifting. We think we're fine. But we've plateaued out. But we're drifting away from him. It says it here in the Old Testament, the people of God were punished when they violated the message spoken by angels. God took it seriously. When God sent an angel as a messenger, he expected them to do it. And when they never did it, they suffered the consequences. Now, I'm not saying that God punished them. I don't believe that. But they suffered the consequences of not doing what God told them to do. That happens to us today. But how much more? It wasn't an angel that brought us the gospel. It was the Son of God himself. God came. It was so important that God did not entrust this message to an angel, but entrusted it to his very own Son, Jesus Christ. You daren't ignore it. If you were punished when you ignored the angels, how much more severe will it be if you ignore the Son of God? Imagine you work for a mega company and the chairman of this company was so rich and you were a minion in the company. And there was a knock at your door one night. So you open the door and it's the son of the of the chief guy in this company. And you said, yeah, what, what do you want? You said, I've got a message from the boss. You go, you're joking. He could have just sent an email tomorrow. I would have got it, don't worry. No, he said, listen, my boss thinks so much of this message that he must get it to you, or he thinks so much of you that you must get the message that he sent me to bring it personally to your door. Understand the vitality of this message. <laughs> you go, uh, it's all right. Thanks. Maybe the message told you to do something tomorrow and you go, when he shuts the door, you go, oh, I'll think about that. I've really got a busy day tomorrow. I don't know if I can squeeze that in. I'll tell you something. You move your agenda. Because what he brought you was of vital importance to the director of that organisation. That's what God has done to you. Not, 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 not he's done it to you. He has sent Jesus Christ with a message to you. And his warning is, you need to hold fast to this gospel message. If you drift away, you will suffer the consequences of it. He speaks about violation and disobedience. A violation is a sin of commission where we know something to be wrong and we do it. That's a violation. A disobedience is where we know what we should do, but we don't always do it. And that's a sin of omitting what we should do. 
It goes on to say in this that God has confirmed his message with signs and wonders through his Holy Spirit. Let me tell you how I got this message. This came by a sign and a wonder. This, this message came to you. It's a message from God to you. This message is vital today. I'll throw this one in before I get to that. <laughs> you have to think about this one. You have been saved by an eternal God, yes? So you have within you the eternal spirit, yes? So you are an eternal being, yes? Yesterday does not exist. Neither does tomorrow. Think about it. God doesn't have a yesterday or a tomorrow because he is an eternal being. He lives now in the present. At this moment, God lives. And in the next moment, God lives. And the next moment, God lives. Do you know you're an eternal being? We get so worried that we won't do what we want to do before we die. We don't die. What do you want about? Oh, we pass away. I understand that. But you're an eternal being. It's today. It's today. We live today. What is God saying today to you? Don't say, I'll put it off to tomorrow because putting it off is saying, I won't do it. That's all it is. It's today we live. So what was this sign and wonder? As I was preparing this message and looking at Hebrews and, uh, you know, sometimes, well, perhaps you don't know, but I get all these thoughts. I get loads of them. Some I share with Lee and drive him mad or share with Dave. I get loads of thoughts and I try to simulate them into what I would call a sermon to present to you. And, and sometimes it doesn't work. Uh, it usually works by the time I get here, I hope. Uh, so I go to bed on Thursday night and I say, God, this... This needs a visitation by you. Your Holy Spirit needs to give me something so I can pull this together, so I can present what you want to say to your people. After all, I'm only the servant. They're your people and it's your message, so you've got to give it to me so I can give it to them properly. I go to bed and I, I sleep and I dream, and I don't usually remember my dreams. I wake desperate to hang on to them, just in case they come from God, only to find before I've got my feet on the floor, they've evaporated away. So I presume that wasn't really of God and it can go. I wake up this morning and I've got the dream solid. This is the dream. I'm standing and I'm looking around and I see here a shadow of a man. He's passed away now, but I knew him. He was part of a church that I pastored and he was he was part of what they called the faith movement. The faith movement was sort of so overboard on the word. I mean, they were just like the word, you know, and, and they had a, a real strength to bring to the church. So I remember him being so strong on the word of God. And I'm looking up and I see this, I see a woman fall out the window. And I'm thinking, oh, this is terrible. Well, she never fell in front of me. She fell somewhere else. So in the side, I'm seeing this guy this word man, and I go around, and the woman is standing up. And so I woke that morning and I thought, 
What's that related to, God? Of course, immediately my mind went to Ichicus. It was the only one I thought of, falling from a window. Then later I thought, oh no, Jezebel was thrown out of a window, but I'm sure God wants me to speak to you about Jezebel. So uh, anyway, I didn't get that for a day or two later. So by God's Holy Spirit, he had me focus on this. So I got up and I started to write, and within less than an hour, this whole message had come together by the power of God's Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is working and living and active in your life constantly, 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 constantly. God is speaking to you constantly. If, if you have a heart of faith to hear, to hear the voice of God requires faith in the human heart. God speaks to the Jesus in you. He doesn't speak to you. God doesn't speak to you. He speaks to the Jesus that has entered into you. So the bigger Jesus is in you, the more you hear the word of God. That's profound. That is profound. If Jesus has not been given a chance to grow by faith in your heart, you never hear from God, ever. Because God's really fussy. He only speaks to Jesus. He doesn't like you much. <laughs> Left without Jesus entering you, you might be on your way to hell. So he doesn't like you much. What he likes is the Jesus in you. So by faith, Jesus grows in us. And that's who he speaks to in the inner man. Jesus has to be everything in our lives. What is it we have the danger of drifting from? He puts it in here, in this passage. He says this, a violation and disobedience received in just punishment. If we ignore such a great salvation. Do you know you can be saved and ignore this great salvation. This great salvation is not getting saved. That is great. But this great salvation goes far beyond getting saved. Decades ago we got saved. It was what was built on that salvation is what is great. Entering into the promised land of rest. Do you worry? Are you anxious? Are you fearful? Not supposed to be. You're supposed to have entered in to your Canaan, to the promised land of rest. If there's a series, there's a lot more of this because I'm nicking that out the next sermon. I fear that the great part of the church in the West has not even heard what this great salvation is. It hasn't heard. It doesn't know what great salvation is. It knows what being born again is and to be saved, but it doesn't understand this great salvation. That's why they only want 10-minute sermons, 50-minute sermons, 15-minute sermons. 
because they don't know. They don't know anything. They don't know a bean. All they know is that Jesus died for them. That's not great. It's great to get started. It's not even good news after the first week. It's old news. We need to understand what this great salvation is. We need an appetite to find out what it is. Do you know how you get fat? You have an appetite. I guarantee it. (laughs) That's why people cut down their appetite so they will lose weight. I understand there's conditions and I'm not being funny and flippant, but we must have an appetite for God's word. In that upper room 2,000 years ago, they had an appetite to sit and listen to Paul for 12 hours. And some say that he wasn't a great orator and preacher. I don't know that. I just know when that guy opened his mouth, people wanted to listen to every word that came out of his mouth because he spoke the very oracles and the scripture of God. That's what Peter said. He said, we don't understand what he's saying, but he's preaching scripture unto us. The word of God. In my upper room, most of them fell asleep, as some of you are here. This great salvation claims our entire devotion. When we get to talking about dullness, interesting passage there that says, we need to leave the elementary teachings of Christ and move on to something more important, something stable. If I list the six elementary teachings of Christ, I want you to examine yourself. I'm not going to put you on the spot. But do you know what they are to move on? Do you know what repentance truly is? And it's not saying sorry for your sins. I'll tell you that to start with. Do you know what faith towards God is? Do you know what the doctrine of laying on of hands is? Do you know what the baptisms are? Do you know about the judgment and the resurrection of the dead? Do you know these things? Have you got them? Have you got them grounded in your understanding? In your life, do you know what they are? Because Paul says that's the foundation of our Christian life. From the foundation, we now grow. We build the house of God. You go, well, I've been a Christian 10 years. I'm not quite sure about the judgment. What are these baptisms you're talking about? How many are there? Well, I could teach you about four. I didn't know there were four. I thought there were two. What What is the teaching on the resurrection? What is it? Do you not know? It's an elementary teaching. It is the foundation. You say, I better pull my socks up. I better get cracking. I better apply myself to finding out what the word of God is. If I'm supposed to live with him and for him. This great salvation wants your entire devotion. I'm sorry about that. You say, well, I'm a very busy man. I've got a lot of things to do. I don't care how busy you are. We all get 24 hours in a day. And we have to fit in our devotion to God somewhere. I have a television. Do you know what I want to do? 
I'll tell you, I want to chuck it out the window. Well, you say, well, you're the head of the house, so I'm not quite sure about that. <laughs> why, why would I get rid of it? Not because it's an evil thing. Because instead of me controlling it, it controls me. And I know what I'm like. I do get home tired, and I sit down, and I, and I watch this thing. And we keep constantly saying to each other, isn't there rubbish on this tonight? It's just rubbish. It's rubbish every night. What, what are we watching this rubbish for? But we constantly watch this rubbish. No, I haven't got enough energy to run around like a maniac and save the whole world. I understand that. I'll leave that one there. Jesus told a story of a man who found a pearl of great price. And he said, I'll sell everything to get hold of this pearl. Everything goes. Who is the pearl of great price? Surely it's Jesus. What is the pearl of great price? Surely this glorious salvation. Surely it is. This wonderful, glorious salvation comes through a triune God. God the Father sending his Son to convey the message to you. Even this morning, the Son of God is speaking to you by the Holy Spirit to his people. The Trinity involved in God speaking to you. Isn't that awesome? And we go, mm, what was it like this morning? Ah, oh, it's all right. Philip went on a bit. That's not the point. That's not the point. Have you gleaned any truth? Truth that can transform the human heart. Because it's in here. It's in what I'm saying. I know it is without an, with an assurity of you. To neglect God's word is to despise God himself. To neglect the word of God is perilous for believers. It's perilous. What am I saying to you? We have to be hungry for God's word. And if you're not, talk to him. Say, God, will you give me a hunger for your word that I too want to throw the television out the window and I want to buy a Christian book and sit down and read it and I want to read your word and I want to take ten minutes, five minutes and sit down and talk to you, God, about my life and my concerns and where I am. Are you prepared to study all night? Go without your sleep? Are you prepared to do that? We read through the Bible here in 25 hours. Do you re well, it was the New Testament. Do you remember? We did the Bible. The Bible takes 80 hours. It was about four and a half days. But we read through the New Testament in 25 hours, New Testament and Psalms. I'm not saying this to boast. I sat up for the 25 hours and listened to it. It was a wonderful experience to hear the word of God Read New Testament from beginning to end without any breaks. Just sitting there basking in the word of God. It's a wonderful experience. We might do that again one day. Do you read Christian books? Maranatha in, Har in, in Uxbridge, do you know that bookshop? It doesn't exist anymore. Why doesn't it exist? Because Christians don't buy Christian books. That's why it doesn't exist. It's closed. And there's a little shop up here called Perivale Christian Centre. They sell Christian books. Do you know what's going to happen to that? 
I won't be a prophet of doom and gloom, but I won't say any more. If you don't rush down there and buy some books, along with the other thousands of Christians in London, it too will close its doors. Do you read Christian books? Do you try and understand? Do you get these men and women of old that have, God has revealed such tremendous things to their hearts to read what they have to say? I was talking to my friend Ian James. Some of you know. He's been here to preach many times. He's, he's 70 years of age now. And we were talking, just chatting, and he says, have you read any of Tim Keller? There are thousands of authors I've never read. He said, he is something else. He's wonderful. Isn't that? There are wonderful men and women of God who God has shown some wonderful things to, and they've put it on paper for you to read, and you go, oh, I'm too busy. I can't be bothered. Then we drift away from this glorious salvation. We have a Bible school. It meets in the day, I know. But next to none come. No one comes. No one comes to it. I've started three Bible schools in Hope and I've closed them all down. Why? Because I don't like teaching. You're kidding yourself. I'd keep you here all afternoon. It's because we haven't got an appetite for the Word of God. You say, well, oh, I'm not quite sure of the person who's teaching. I tell you, if you come with a mind to learn, a donkey could teach you something. Not that our teachers are donkeys, please. I'm not saying that. So you have to have a hunger, an appetite for God's word. Or you drift away. Does God ever say anything to you? I mean, and when you get it, you run up to someone. I do this all the time. Good job you don't work and live with me. I say, listen to this, Dave. This is what, listen to this, Lee. Listen to this. Listen what I've just discovered. Now, these are two very gracious men. And you need to be gracious if someone comes to you. Don't go, oh, yeah, I know that. That is the worst thing you could ever do. You know when kids run home from school and they go, Mum, I've just discovered something. Dad, did you know? Of course they knew. They've been around a long time, but they listen with enthusiasm for what their children have discovered. If I ever say, hey, listen to this, don't go, mm, all right. Go, what have you found out, Phil? Tell me. And listen with enthusiasm. And when you come to me and you say, listen, what I've discovered. I was reading this the other day. I never realised this. Tell me what it is. Because you can teach me. I want to know. The word of God says in a little bit later here, we should all be teachers. It doesn't mean we stand on a platform and open up the word of God. But we should all be enthusiastic, sharing what God has shown us. Become hungry for God's word, lest we drift away. My intention is not to tell you off. My intention is to encourage you and to, to warn you. If we neglect so great a salvation, we miss the promised land. God bless you.
to the word.